I'm Libby Rothschild, former clinical dietitian who transformed into a full-time virtual business owner. It was only one year ago when I made $55,000 a year in my clinical job. And now I make $100,000 a month being my own boss. And you can do this too. My clients, who are all female dietitians and students, started from zero and created six-figure, multi-six-figure businesses by following my proven method. And they've all been guests on air. My proven method shows you how to attract cash paying clients using social media marketing strategies that work. You don't have to guess, waste time, or hold yourself back when you follow my step-by-step method. Today's episode is discussing Black Lives Matter with two dietitian boss students, Yah and I-10. Yah, you can find her at Couples Nutritionist on Instagram, and Yah Boichi is a certified personal trainer and nutrition and dietetics certificate candidate. She holds a BS in communication from Northwestern University. She has spent the last 10 years as wellness entrepreneur in various roles in person, in-home personal trainer, group fitness instructor, resting metabolic rate practitioner, body fat testing practitioner, and wellness coach at a therapeutic wellness facility. Though her job titles have varied over the years, her mission has remained the same, to help people lose weight by teaching them calorie counting. She's currently putting all her energy towards helping thousands of couples lose weight using her calorie counting secrets. In doing so, they will have the skills to incorporate the foods they love without guilt. I-10, you can find at planetary.nutritionist on Instagram. I-10 Shulahi is a researcher, food policy advocate, and nutrition coach on a mission to heal people and the planet through food. As a first-generation daughter of Turkish Cairoprit immigrants, I-10 learned at a young age to view food as a tool for healing, compassion, and unity. After witnessing the power of nutrition and nearly a decade in medicine research, I10 decided to pivot her career to follow her true passion for intersectional food policy and clinical nutrition. She left her job and moved across the country to complete a Master of Science in Food and Nutrition Policy and Programming at Tufts University and a Dietetic Program in Dietetics at Simmons University. Since completing her master's, I-10 founded a budding international food and climate justice organization that leverages the unique role of food and nutrition professionals to cultivate a more just, regenerative, and climate-resilient food future for all. Applying these same values, I-10 has also launched an eco-friendly six-week nutrition coaching program to help women heal their gut and restore natural energy without sacrificing the joy of cultural food. I'm so excited to have you both here today. Can you speak to your philosophy of how you developed such a strong point of view, uh, starting with Yah? Yes. So a big part of my brand messaging entails teaching people how to modify their favorite to-go meals so they can lose weight. I heard so many people tell me through market research calls how much they relied on to-go meals, and I can totally relate because when I was young, money was often tight, and we didn't always have a consistent working kitchen. So we would go and get menu items from the dollar menu at McDonald's and a good chunk of my childhood was spent doing my homework in the lobbies of these places. So I recognize the importance of people having to go meals and having access to them and still feeling like they can lose weight. And even when we did have access to a kitchen and had home cooked meals, food for me, home cooked meals, especially the cultural food, are like a storyteller to me. I look forward to being able to share these stories with my mom and dad and learn about my relatives through the food being served. My mom makes this fantastic peach cobbler, and whenever I eat of it, eat it, I always think of my grandmother. And when I eat my dad's incredible foo-foo, I think of my dad's father. 
But unfortunately, a lot of them succumb to their health issues very early on, most of them dying under the age of 55 from things such as diabetes and heart disease. So it's very important for me to eat food that honors them so I can remember them. But by my early 20s, I was noticing my eating habits were definitely catching up to me. And I was joining Instagram and Facebook groups and learning about weight loss this, weight loss this. And I was like, oh man, I guess I should really be working towards this. And I didn't want to be in a situation where I was developing heart disease or diabetes. So I was caught between wanting to honor my relatives and stories through food and wanting to lose weight. And ultimately, I decided I'm going to do something about it. So I started exercising. I couldn't afford a trainer. I saved up money, got my first personal training certification, and it was a way for me to train myself and it acted as a source of income. And in terms of diet, I just looked at what I saw other influencers doing, eating kale, chicken, drinking meal replacements. So I gave up culture for a more controlled and bland diet. And my late 20s, I decided to enter bodybuilding, which just layered on more restrictions. They were worse. In fact, joy for me was seeing that a piece of fruit was added on my meal plan. I was super frustrated and decided I have to learn more about this. There has to be a better way. And I want it to be a better role model for my clients. So what I decided to do is seek out nutrition education. I acquired my precision nutrition certification, learned about nutrition there. Then I learned through a couple of different courses, the power of calorie tracking. And I started modifying my favorite family meals, modifying my to-go orders. And I was seeing the scale drop. So now I teach other busy couples how to do the same. That was like my big aha moment. And I say all this to make a point. It's so important that wellness messaging is relatable because oftentimes wellness messaging is not relatable. Kale, avocado, a wolf stove in the background in your photo, $150 a month Pilates studio membership is not relatable for a lot of people who grew up the way I did. And finding a way to weave in doing what you can with what you have has become really important to me which is why I urge my clients to focus on steps, physical activity that don't cost money. And while my program is expensive, it's not cheap. I want to make sure that people know that wellness doesn't mean paying money for every aspect of wellness. Thousands of dollars in appliances, 400 plus dollars in gym memberships for you and your partner, hundreds of dollars in supplement stacks is just not reasonable. And I want to urge other wellness professionals, in particular nutrition professionals, to do the same and really look at their messaging and address the concerns of people like me so we see our concerns repeated back, which makes us feel heard. Otherwise, we'll think wellness and nutrition is really not advice that we need to be seeking. And it's really important that we emphasize that nutrition is for everyone. And uh, Aiten, what would you say? Awesome. So a lot of my foundation and why I was drawn into the food and nutrition field is because I fundamentally believe that a high quality of life should be accessible and affordable to everybody, regardless of their wealth, gender, race, ethnicity, religion, immigration status, any of the differences that are used to oppress people in this country should not define the quality of life that we experience here. So, you know, my approach and work in relationships is very much grounded in my family's story. So I'm a first generation daughter of two immigrants from Turkish side of Cyprus, which is a tiny island in the Mediterranean. Most people haven't even heard of it here. And what really struck me about their story in immigrating here, and every every immigrant family you'll hear, they have their own personal story of what that means to them. And so for me, what it meant is that my parents actually had to go through the process of surviving like a civil war on that island. My parents were prisoners of war and were refugees, were removed from their homes, and in that time went through a really trying period of 
kind of trying to, you know, maintain the peace and heal their community and heal themselves and find peace not only in communities that people that they were similar to, but people who were different from them. So the there's a little bit of history about that and the difference between like one side of Cyprus and the other, but it doesn't really matter. It kind of boils down to just finding unity and similarity and peace and harmony through food is what it ended up being. So I kind of grew up with that belief that food is this great unifier and it's a great way for us to practice radical empathy with one another. And so, you know, my parents immigrated to the United States and in growing up here in the age of 9-11 and having adolescence there and having a name like mine, I very quickly realized that this concept of the land of opportunity has its flaws. And so that pulled me into working on issues related to, you know, classism, racism, xenophobia in the context of food and nutrition work. And I took a little circuitous path through medical research and I'm also a career changer, but I I ended up shifting over to study food and nutrition policy uh, so that I could learn how to have an impact on the systems that keep people oppressed by working through policy and advocacy on the systems level. So I have been focused on anti-hunger initiatives and social safety net programs like food stamps. And so I can learn how to deliver nutrition programs that optimize both health and social impact for everybody. And so that's kind of like the systems level stuff that I do. And then on the more one-on-one level, I've been working with Libby to develop a six-week coaching program so that I work with clients to build an approach that addresses their underlying gut issues and restores natural energy in a way that honors their cultural experience of food, decolonizes ideas of what healthy and unhealthy, and I'm saying that with air quotes up, (laughs) really means, and restores their trust in their mind-body connection. So Yeah. I mean, at the system level, I'm working to build out a community of food and nutrition professionals who are passionate about using their platform to combat the climate crisis and build a more just and regenerative food future for all. So I'm passionate about working at both levels, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Systems level and individual level. Amazing. And I do want to note that both Yacht and I-10 are students. And you're both incredible, doing incredible work. Um, sharing your voice and your background. And then we'll segue in a minute about how you're using social to do this, but I just want to make that clear. I really appreciate you you both taking time on this interview to discuss these important topics as students, which is true role modeling. Now, can we go into talking about how you practice an inclusive approach as a business owner, more specifically on social media? I believe you, you both touched on it, but if you could talk a little bit about social Absolutely. First, I wanted to just kind of educate the listeners because I wasn't sure where most of them are at. So for the listeners out there, having an inclusive business means having a business that's easily accessible to people of color or low income or figuring out how your business can funnel resources, whether books or scholarships or run contests on your social feed that's going to go to people that really could use them in those impoverished communities. Also ensuring your company has inclusive hiring practices. Maybe the graphic designer you hire to do your graphics, maybe the person who's looking at your comments, replying to your emails, like prioritizing people that are often marginalized. And additionally, also making sure your messaging on social media and advertisements as well just resonate with a more diverse audience. And I find that that's really important that you see yourself in those messages. And most importantly, inclusion really should mean that people feel comfortable. So coming to your page, coming to your space, they feel welcome and they feel embraced. And I personally have found that 
me. I love raising funds for different causes that mean the most to me. I've started donating the proceeds of an ebook that I started advertising and marketing in Libby's group. And I've also committed to giving a portion of the sales of the program that I created in the dietitian boss group to a couple of different care package organizations that I'm working with right now, which is helpful. Because being able to have direct impact and provide people like me access to funds and solutions to help them get to the next phase of their career is really important. So one thing that I've been really working towards myself in terms of my own content is just making sure that everything that I post really speaks to them and make sure that the people that I'm speaking to notice the foods that I'm posting on my page. Notice that when I'm saying something, it's not something they have to run in Google. I think that's really important and invaluable. And I would urge other people who are on social to do the same. Outside of social media, I think it's also important to volunteer your time and you can document that time on social media. So I do volunteer at the Greater Food Depository as well as a local food bank and I'll upload images to my stories when I do that. And the combination of just being really aware of what's happening in society and not ignoring it in your brand and business is just going to help you and your customer feel more close instead of you just always selling and doing this, nutrition tips, that. It is really important that people feel heard and have an area where they can come and be a part of the discussion. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And Aiten, what would you say about inclusivity? First, I just want to acknowledge that I think Jan made just perfect points, perfect definition of what inclusivity practices look like in a business context and on social. And just kind of add to that, I think that coming from the perspective of a non-Black person of color in the context of the Black Lives Matter movement, to me, the goal is representation, elevation, and centering of people other than myself. And not every post has to be about my business or elevating my business. And I think right now there are a lot of people who are looking for ways that they can channel their allyship in a way that is genuine, authentic, and non-performative. And social media can feel sometimes very performative for people. So I think one way that you can use your social to be a true ally is to, you can start with your posts on social. But you have to make sure that your allyship goes beyond just what you're posting on your social media, right? So an example of this is that if you're planning out your content for the next month, for example, you might have a few posts about your business, a few nutrition tips, but then also make sure that you're saving some space to elevate the voices of people who are working in the Black Lives Matter movement, as an example, or other people who who inspire you or advocacy alerts or something like that. And you build in that planning in the same way that you would build in planning to elevate your own business. So your marketing, your pricing, your sales, your Facebook community roles, the style of coaching that you're using in your offers, all of these should reflect without any ambiguity that you're not only not racist, but that you are working to be actively anti-racist, anti-xenophobic, and anti-discriminatory in all of your business practices. Because as nutrition professionals, there is a lot of homogeneity in the nutrition world. And so our job is to really make sure that, as Yah mentioned, we're doing everything that we can to make sure that everybody feels welcome in the nutrition space. So that's one thing. And then another way that you can ensure that your content in general is speaking more than to just the standard white American audience 
is to look at how you describe your ideal client. I think that that has been a really cool exercise that I've learned actually in working with you, Libby, is take a hard look at how you describe your ideal client and make sure that you have an understanding of whether or not you are leaving room in your depiction of your client, your ideal client for someone who is of a different culture, different ethnicity, different upbringing, and ensure that your content reflects that. So another thing that you can do, this is a little bit outside of simply just the process of creating content, but is to make sure that when you're having discovery calls with potential clients, the goal can be to make a sale, but it can also be to actually really deeply understand who that person is and where they're coming from and what their experience is. And if you're having discovery calls and you're noticing that the majority of people who don't go for the sale are people of color, then that might be something to explore in your business practices and say, is there a way that I can ensure that my services are getting to everybody and that I'm not perpetuating systems that prevent access to knowledge to communities of color or marginalized populations? Yeah, really beautifully said. I tend, and I really love that reframe as well with the sales calls and, and looking at it as an opportunity to really connect and provide help and collect feedback and, and be a resource and learn from your marketing and, and the type of people you're attracting and those that you're closing and how you can realign your marketing to be more inclusive. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. And when it comes to Black Lives Matter, how would you say that's affected your business? Well, as a Black woman in the wellness space, the Black Lives Matter movement affects me quite a bit. Prior to this movement, if the wellness space was a reflection pool, I I really often didn't see myself reflected back. I would say this movement has definitely sparked a long overdue discussion of why I'm essentially a period on a white blank piece of paper in this space, and why is my content and content from people like me is not often filling up the explore page. I even had to take a step back and look at the people I was following. Like a majority, 80, 90% of the wellness people I was following did not look like me. So with that in mind, I think it's really important that this movement reflected what was going on. So brand partnerships with food companies can start to be reevaluated. We can start really looking at our fitness spaces and seeing why are the people on the yoga mats not more diverse? Why are we shaming people eating to-go meals? Why are we shaming people for not having access to the things that we're trying to push on our pages? And just getting to the root of that is something that this movement has brought about change in our industry, especially. And with that, I see now people are beginning to see that. Like, wow, this reflection pool is not very diverse and we need to shift the narrative. And when I gained... During this time, I gained over 200 followers during the blackout, and the algorithm actually helped me find more Black RDs to be and Black registered dietitians. And I found that that's really beautiful, that now our content's being pushed because people are looking for it, people are demanding it, but there is still more work that needs to be done offline. We're being seen, we're being heard, we're being shared, but we need to be hired more, promoted more, Mm -hmm. paid more. And I've worked for free and have been severely underpaid and misclassified as a contractor to earn various nutrition street cred that you need in order to move you know, further along in your career. And I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but this field is already tough. And you do often have to do these non-paying or low-paying gigs in order to be a more attractive candidate. So I want to urge those listening, especially since we're students and we're really seeing this on the front lines right now, to really start hiring and paying students of color to help you with your social, your projects, donating to fundraisers, 
that you see on, I see GoFundMe accounts all the time of kids raising money for their dietetic internships. And that would help so much just being able to contribute in that way. In fact, I just posted about a girl who was trying to raise the remaining couple thousand for her internship. She's an African-American woman and she needed to help finishing by this month. And I posted in my stories and actually a fellow student in our dietitian boss cohort, Courtney, she actually donated a super generous amount. And that's the type of work that we can be doing and continue to do. And it doesn't take much. And that's what this movement has afforded us is to have these conversations the last thing I really wanted to say about this movement is that I've noticed people in the wellness field are starting to add stock photos and elements featuring black bodies, which is beyond amazing. I have never seen so many different uses of those graphics before, and people are actually asking where they can find more, which is another area that I've noticed is you know often lagging is like having access to graphics that are more diverse. But seeing these images honestly makes my heart sing. And I want to urge more people to start doing that. Like consider like where you can change your elements on your feed to be more reflective of the general population. And consider reposting content if you don't have access to it or you don't feel comfortable creating your own because you're not sure. You can always just use content from RDs to Bs and Black RDs. You can post it in your feed, post it in your stories. Also consider inviting your Black colleagues and students to talk shop. Like if you're a person who's an intuitive eater, find a, an intuitive eating dietitian that's of color and bring them on to talk about what's happening. Adding people like myself to a list of people that you can reach out to for media kits and anything that you might need in terms of blog writing for your website and so on. Just diversifying our content and interactions. More people of color will start to see that general nutrition coaching, weight loss coaching, nutrition therapy and so on are not just sought out by wealthy white people, but also sought out by all people who simply resonate with the message and the problem your business is looking to solve. So that's what this movement has afforded us is to have these really tough conversations and actually take action, which I'm really excited to see. I love that. And I also have noticed a, a ton more of the use of um, diverse images on Canva, or not just Canva, but on different people's feeds. So I absolutely have noticed that. I think that's incredible um, to see that change in recent. I tend, would you have to add to this conversation? Sure. I completely agree with everything that Yaa said. And to add to it, I would say that for people who want to be allies in this space, you must build anti-racism into the foundations of your business. And you have to have a learning mindset rather than a fixed mindset when it comes to improving and continuously seeking feedback to do better and to improve without defensiveness in the space. So the first thing I would recommend is to just take the pause. Pause and do the work. Do the self-education. Do the re-education. And don't continue business as usual until you feel grounded in how your work and your business aligns with anti-racist work. That's the very, very first step. And then I think also it's important to acknowledge that the process of educating yourself reading books about anti-racism, listening to podcasts, watching the documentaries, all of that is makeup work, right? So you're catching up. We're catching up to where we need to be and understanding how we can be better allies. And from that, we need to learn and take action, integrate what we've learned into what we do as nutrition coaches. One example of that is what we talked about just a bit earlier about examining your ideal client and how much you're basing your recommendations on Eurocentric health ideals. And be honest and be critical with yourself about what that looks like. 
and what I mean by Eurocentric health ideals is like, for example, if I have a Hispanic client tell me that she wants to explore some remedy that she, you know, her grandma told her about or that she did when she was a child to help with a gut issue, my immediate response would not be, well, oh, that's not an evidence-based recommendation. It would be like, oh, okay, well, let's talk to me about that. Like, yeah, maybe let's, let's find a way to work it into your plan or something like that to acknowledge culture, to honor culture and to come from, a, and from that perspective. So another thing you could do is to issue a strong and clearly worded statement to your team, your following, your clients, your email list. And the bigger you're following, the more important it is that you do this to declare that you do not tolerate any level of discrimination or racism in your community. So one of the things that's really difficult for people who have larger followings or who are working to you know, build a big community is moderating the types of conversations that go on in that community. It's particularly important when we're engaging in culturally grounded, sensitive, and anti-racism. We need to make sure that our stance on things, our community rules, are clear and unambiguous. And a one-time diversity training and inclusion training is a good thing, but it's certainly not enough. And to many people, it could be perceived as something that is performative. So it's that ongoing work where you're continuously working to integrate all of your learnings into every aspect of your business that really builds allyship into business processes. So yeah, another thing that you can do this is something that Yah touched on is just to make sure that you're, if you're looking for vendors, virtual assistants, or any type of other support for your business, start out by seeking by POC owned businesses or contact diversified dietetics and see if there are some students in that group that are looking for some work and ensure that it's paid work. That's super important. So yeah. And then the last thing that I would say too, is that it's really important to think critically about creative ways that you can build access and affordability into your business practices, which is really difficult, especially as a new entrepreneur, there are so many expenses already, and we have sales goals that we need to meet in order to sustain a business. And Libby teaches you all about that, and it's so, so helpful. But I think there are so many different creative ways that you can ensure that your pricing structures ensure a higher level of diversity in your clientele. You can offer pro bono positions to people in your group programs if you hit a certain sales goal. For example, two pro bono positions for every 10 paying clients. Or like two hours of nutrition coaching for every 10 paid hours that are pro bono, two pro bono hours, I mean, it's things like that. There are so many different ways that you can integrate that into your idea of what makes your business successful that also makes your business grounded in principles of equity and access. Yeah, those are really excellent suggestions, Aiten. And to go back to what you said about ongoing learning, and that this question could be for both of you, what would you suggest or do you have examples or resources or references when you're talking about like one-time training isn't enough for those listening who might not be as familiar with this topic or where to go or, or how to continue learning? What do you suggest? Yeah. So I would say the one thing that I found to be really helpful, and I know everyone is a different type of learner, but if you could follow, I'm Chrissy King. She has a wonderful, I am Chrissy spelled C-H-R-I-S-S-Y King. She has a wonderful training and she posts amazing content day in and day out. So just starting to make sure your feed has more information coming into you on a continuous basis, like really making sure, prioritize getting that messaging. I think that's really helpful because the one and done trainings 
I absolutely agree. It is really tough because it's it's not enough. But if you can just keep it at the front of your mind by following people that are speaking to it, I find that to be the most helpful. And mm-hmm. also just starting conversations with people of color in your community. And if, you, and if you're in communities, and I've often been in communities where I've been someone's only black friend, if you are in that situation, join professional networking groups that represent the marginalized communities in which you want to learn more so you know how to better speak. And don't do it as a, a place of savership, like just come and just be open to learning and growing and just mention your intentions. And I think that's another good way that you can open yourself up to more conversations. That's great. Fantastic, fantastic suggestions. I'm definitely like a an avid reader. So I personally started by um, picking up How to Be an Anti-Racist. It's a really, really great book. I highly recommend because a lot of my work is also focused on food and environment. I'm also started A Terrible Thing to Waste. And it's about environmental racism. And that's also been really, really helpful in remembering to frame food and nutrition and environment within the context of racism and how certain things are systematically barred from being accessed by communities of color. So those are a couple of books that I would recommend. Also, White Fragility, I've heard, is a really fantastic one. And so reading the books has been, you know, really helpful. But the thing that actually solidifies the learning, particularly in the community that I've been starting, the Planetary Health Collective, is then sharing questions and having initiating dialogue about the things that you're absorbing from those books in your communities. It's another great way that you can integrate your learnings and anti-racism work into your content, for example, is to post questions or to share a learning from a book or to share a quote from that book or something like that that really resonates and to see, get that out there into your communities. So for the readers out there, those are good ones to start with. And then also, if there's any uh, podcast listeners out there, 1619 is a great one. Intersectionality Matters is another one that I have been listening to. Throughline from NPR. Those are all great, great things that you can listen to when you're commuting or whatever, just to immerse yourself in the work. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I, I love that some of those resources are free too. So available mm-hmm. for the listeners to, you know, just download and, and you know, follow people on Instagram, download podcasts, and just start uh, continuing to uh, be a part of that conversation, which is, as you've said, both of you have said is important, right, to just continue that conversation. It's been a pleasure having you both on and then discussing your backgrounds, your points of view. Is there anything that you want to wrap up with today that you think would be important to leave the listeners with? Yeah, I would say, and I think a lot of us would say this, Don't hide all the helpful tips behind a paywall. Don't be afraid of sharing really insightful and powerful pieces with your audience, especially those who are the most underserved. I find that just coming from a place of service when you create content is very, very important. And just making sure that content is reflective of the things that people have access to. So just being cognizant of posting things that are not just the meals that you eat, but maybe you add some food that's Mexican, that from like from the South, like just making sure you're incorporating that so people really get a good sense of your stance and your openness and willingness to help them in the world of nutrition. That's great. I would also close out just by saying, encouraging everybody to push through the fear and discomfort of doing something that might be new for you or for your business. 
So if you are interested in piloting a new pricing structure or implementing sliding scale payments or offering scholarships to clients or offering pro bono positions in your group, don't be afraid to try it and see what works and find a way to make it work for you and your business. There's always a way. There's always a way to do it. And creativity is a beautiful thing. Work with your communities to find a way to make your resources more accessible and affordable to the people who really, really need them. And if you want to be pushing beyond business and you want to be getting involved in advocacy and activism and making the calls that you see people posting about on Instagram, push through that discomfort and fear also. Just do it. Just do it. Dial the numbers. Use the words. (laughs) Do it. Yeah. Don't just swipe by. Actually do the thing that the folks in this movement are asking of allies to do. Fantastic wonderful reminder and note for us to to close on. And if you could just both remind everybody where to find you on social media. So y'all here, you can find me at couples.nutritionist on Instagram. And you can find me at planetary.nutritionist on Instagram. Fantastic. If you identify as a female dietitian or student, apply to my coaching program. I'm accepting applications now. My clients go from zero to exceeding their sales goals. I save you time, energy, and I show you how to confidently become a dietitian boss. Thousands of your colleagues from around the world are doing it, and so can you. Apply on my website at LibbyRothschild.com and check the show notes if you want that link right away.